tension, but preaching is reasoning. You're trying to present um, a, um, another viewpoint. You're trying to present God's viewpoint. So um, Samuel preached to a huge crowd of Israelites about their wrong desire for a king. And um, he says, let me reason with you about this thing. And a lot of things that we need to have answers to be able to reason with people about that the Bible's got all the answers, folks. Uh, I haven't found them all. I haven't figured them all out. But, uh, you know, you spend enough time in that Bible, you come away just, just, just realizing there's nothing too hard for God. I mean, there are a lot of things that are too hard for me, a lot of things very hard for, for, uh, for you know, just normal Joe Soap. But there's nothing too hard for God. And um, tonight we're looking at gambling. Tonight we're looking at gambling. Now I got the verse up there, but you ought to really take note of this scripture in your Bible. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money. You say, where's gambling in the Bible? Right there. It's not money that's evil. What is evil? Okay. So love of money is the root of all evil. And you're gonna and, and over this next this week and next week, you're gonna learn just how much gambling, the attitude of taking risks, unmanaged risks, is at the root of all the evil that's in the world. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some coveted after, there's our key word, they have erred from the faith. You start messing, if you're a Christian, you start messing with gambling, you start believing in lady luck, you're going to be out the church, you're going to be, you're going to be away from home, you're going to lose your family, lose your job, you will err, you will go the wrong way. Gambling is not the way to get closer to God. They erred from the faith. They've pierced and threw themselves through with many sorrows. That's a gambler right there. No, no doubt about it. So uh, when we start talking about gambling here, gambling, questions got to be asked, is gambling sinful and wrong? Now, some believe that it's just a bit of harmless fun, a game, a bit of entertainment. In America, they just had this thing called Powerball. Um, and uh, uh, they say, oh, it's just a bit of, a bit of fun. Uh, some people actually think it's the best and pain, most painless way to raise taxes without people knowing because it is a government fund. It is the way the government makes money hand over fist, and you think you're going to win. Some think that me even mentioning it and saying that something like this could be wrong is legalistic. People have all kinds of crazy opinions about gambling. So does the Bible have anything to say about gambling? Well, let's first define what gambling is. Gambling, the popular definition of gambling is this. To play, here's the, here's the definition you get when you open up the dictionary. To play at any game of chance for money or for stakes. You see the word there? Very positive. To play for money. Uh, uh, at any game of chance for money or for stakes. Now, a more thorough definition is, this is, this is when you open up a, a real dictionary, like the Oxford English Dictionary or something. Definition of gambling was this, to lose or to squander money by betting. Now, that I understand. That I can understand. That's real. Another one, second one under down, was to wager or to risk money based on chance. Now we're talking. See, the first one says, it's a game. The second one says, you're going to lose. Which one's right? To make fast money by taking risks instead of by working for it. That's gambling. So gambling 
is when you leave something to luck when it should be left to trust in the Lord. Christians should only trust in the providence of God and never in chance to provide for their needs. This is why gambling cannot be endorsed biblically. You can't, you say, what's the harm in a little bit of I'm just putting fiber down, I'm getting a little scratch card. You're trusting luck. You're not trusting God. Don't you dare pray over that. God will not bless if you say, dear God, please help me win. He will not help you. He will not, because you're trusting in luck. And I got, I, I, have, a, I have a test. I have a test. I almost, I was going to, I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, but, but Dan, I was going to go and buy a lottery ticket for one of these big lottery things, bring it into church and says, how many of you want this thing? And then I was going to slowly start tearing. I was going to watch which one of you were, were sweating as I tore up a potential winning lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah, now we know. You say, well, don't do that, Pastor. See, gambling has such power. Uh, it is so popular. The popularity game, people gamble almost over anything. They're gambling right now on who's going to win the election. Right now, the odds are 14 to 1 that the Fina Gale, Labor, and Renewas are going to get together. And, and, and what, uh, uh, I don't remember whether it was Lad Brokes or Patty Powers said, um, uh, at 14 to 1, the Fina Gale, Labor, Renewal option is screaming value right now. Get on. <laughs> People also uh, gamble on who's going to win at a sports match. You got dog racing, horse racing. You've got the National Lottery. By the end of 2013, the National, the Irish National Lottery had achieved since 2000, and I believe it was founded in 2004, um, the National Lottery had achieved 12 billion in cumulative sales. They made 2 billion euros out of the pockets of suckers. They only paid out 6.7 billion in prizes. They didn't pay them all out. That's a lie. What that meant is they set it aside to pay out in dribs and drabs. And they've raised 4.4 billion for supposedly good causes. You start to look down at the list of all the good causes. It's crazy. Good causes are government expenses in running the program, but we'll talk about that later. In 2011, 2.2 million Irish people played the national lottery. That's 60 4% of the population, and one and a half million play every week. One and a half million people gladly turn their money over thinking, I might win. Euro millions, let's see if I've got some of these things. Uh, they were supposed to all go up. I don't know why they're not coming up, but forget them. 2005, Dolores McNamara, a part-time cleaning lady from Limerick, won the Euro millions jackpot of 150 million euros, which at the time was the largest lottery prize ever won in Europe. Powerball, one ticket from Florida back in 2013, won, one ticket won $531 million. One ticket. Just a few weeks ago, two people shared $1.2 billion. Now listen to this. What did you say? It is crazy. A governor of the state of Wisconsin said these words. Some law seems to be required to break up the schools where gamblers are made. Things are everywhere. Even the church, unwittingly no doubt, is sometimes found doing the work of the devil. Gift concerts, gift enterprises, raffles, 
sometimes in aids of religious or charitable objects, but often far less worthy purposes, lotteries, prize packages, etc., are all devices to obtain money without value received. Nothing is so demoralizing or intoxicating, this is the governor speaking, nothing is so demoralizing or intoxicating, particularly to the young, as the acquisition of fast money or property without labor. Respectable people engaging in these chance enterprises and easing their consciences with the reflection that money is to go to a good object. Well, it is not strange that the youth of our state should so fall, often fall into the habit which the excitement of games of hazard is almost certain to engender. That was written in 1873. Down through history, key figures in, in, uh, uh, in Christianity have always looked at gambling with an unfavorable view, a view. Augustine said the devil invented gambling. Martin Luther said, money won by gambling is not won without sin and without mocking sin. Wow. John Calvin outlawed gambling in the city of Geneva when he was the prime minister there. He thought it was so evil. Now, much of life is a gamble. I mean, you say, oh, Pastor, everything is a gamble. Ah, yeah, you could uh, uh, start a business. That's risky. You know, it might work out, it might not. Pouring a lot of time, a lot of money into a business, you start up a business, it's risky. Buying a house, you know, it's risky buying a house, starting a mortgage. You're counting on the fact you're going to continue to have your job, that you're going to be able to pay for uh, the interest rates, you're going to pray the interest rates stay down. Driving down the highway, now that's a risk. These are all risks that we have to take to live, and most of them are quite acceptable. How many of you drove a car tonight? You took that risk, didn't you? Oh, it was a storm. Ah, get over it. You know, people, we take risks and we drive and everything's fine. Those are all risks that we have to take to live, and most of them are acceptable, but God didn't call any of us to just sit in a room and hide from our risks. But when it comes to gambling with our money, now that is risky business. See, Lotto says, it could be you. But what they should say, it probably won't be. Do you know, you almost always lose your money. How much, how much is almost almost? 99.9999999% of the time, you will lose your money. You know, they don't build cities like Las Vegas by them losing money. <laughs> Casinos don't lose money. Countries like Ireland do not adopt lotteries like they did back in the 19, late 1980s when they started it. I forget the time I forget. They did not adopt a lottery as a means to distribute excess government funds to low-income families. No way. Gambling is always the big winner for casinos, bookmakers, and government revenues. They win every time, not you. Gambling doesn't raise the poor out of poverty. I've been to a big gambling city called Atlantic City in America. It's in New Jersey. It's on the coast of, of, uh, of uh, New Jersey. And a guy named Donald the Trump is very responsible for building up that city and making it world-renowned and everything. But that city is such a tragedy because the front row along the, the, the coastline with all the beaches and all those hotels and all those casinos look like, like, like gold and silver. But one, two, three streets back is some of the most abstract, abject poverty you've ever seen. 
people living in absolute squalor. You know what they're doing? They're waiting just for a bit of, of some coins to go and put in that machine because their luck's going to change. Their luck's going to change. And they've wasted and spent every last penny trying to win something that they see everybody else supposedly winning. And it's just incredible poverty in the back of that wealth. Um, now it is some people's business to take risks with money. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter five, 25 and verse 14. <clears throat> but we're going to talk about here in Matthew chapter 25, this is not gambling, this is investing, and I'll show you the difference. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants, and he delivered unto them his goods. He's now transferred money from his own pocket to three men. He gave under, and under one he gave five talents, five gold talents, five amounts of money, like they just imagine five bags of money, to another two, and to another he gave one, to every man according to his several ability, and he straightway took his journey. Now, Brother Dan, did he just come along and say, here, whoever you are, I'll give you five, and you, no, he knew the guy. He said, according to your ability, I'll trust you with five. According to your ability, I'll trust you with two. According to your ability, I'll trust you with one. So this is not just, I just take a risk here. He's managing his risk. Verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and what did he do? Gambled with the same. Is that what it says? He traded. He traded with the same and he made them other five talents. Did 100% profit, man. I wish I knew somebody like that. Likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them, added up their profits and loss. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents. Wow, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful. What? Not a gambler. He's a servant. He's doing what his, his uh, employer told him to do. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. You've been faithful over these few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also to receive two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, there are a lot of spiritual applications. Before we keep reading, I want you to see that before we apply it to any spiritual realm and to the, to the Christian life, apply it to the normal day-to-day -day use of money. He's honoring men who are faithful with their job, right? I gave you this task. You succeeded at it, and you actually turned in a profit. It's not wrong to make profit. You actually took, and you traded, and you made double. You brought in fruit. You were successful. Well done. One who made went from five to ten was not honored more who went from two to four. Do you notice that? They both got the same honor because they did what they could 
They weren't asked. The one who could only handle two wasn't given five. It wasn't overwhelming to him. He was given two, and he succeeded with two. Keep going. Verse 22. He also received two. Verse 23, sorry. I'd already read that. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a, what? A hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown. Gathering where thou hast not strawed. I mean, he's got a bitter attitude here. He says, you're always making money off of my efforts. And I was afraid. I was too timid. I was too scared. And I went and I hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. There, you've got what, you're, what is yours. His Lord answered and said to him, thou wicked. And what's the next word? All right, you see that word, slothful. There was no gambling involved. There was work involved. And he says, this one guy who went and hid his one, you, you went off and you were lazy. You were slothful. You didn't do even what I asked you to do. Thou knowest, knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. That's how we do business. I don't have to do everything. I've hired you to do it. Verse 27. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, that's a banker, and then at my coming I should have received mine own at least with what? What's the next word? Usury. Usury means it's interest. You should have lent the money out and then got it back with interest. Take therefore the talent from him that uh, him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. Now just, just think for a minute there. Investing is when you find a company, when you find a business, when you find people, and you invest money in them for a return. If I hire somebody uh, to, to do a job for me, and, and I, 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 I am paying them, I'm investing in them, I'm expecting them to do a job. And, and I train them, and they did this for me when I worked at the telephone company. I'm happily going along, and they'd come in, and they says, here, here are three courses you need to take this year. I have to go to school. Yes, these are three courses on electronics and on uh, networking or programming. So, uh, and we will pay for them. I get a free course? Yeah. And we'll pay you while you're taking the course. Wow. Why? Because they're investing in me. They invested in me. They were taking a risk that I would stay. As a matter of fact, they said, and we expect you to keep working here. But they were investing in me. Uh, when you put money into company stock is an investment. Now, that's a risky investment. We'll talk about that next week. Putting money into bank savings accounts for them to make interest off of it, which you're not making any today. But let me put it in a more practical thing. Say, um, uh, I wish Leo was here or, or Dennis. Let me tell you where they uh, are, were good at. Leo would, would, would pass by uh, one of these charity shops and he'd see an old table. This old table, it says five euros on it. He goes up there and he puts the five euros down and he picks that thing up and he takes it back and he sets it in his, his workshop there and then he, he sands it down and he, he trims out all of the old, um, uh, uh, what's that stuff that's on the surface of tables? It's a varnish, you know, there, and, and he brings it down to its original grain, and then he, hire, he pays Dennis to come in there and French polish it there and sands it and makes it just like shine. And then he takes it out there, and then he sets it out, and he sells it for a thousand. What did he do? He invested five euros, 
invested effort with a risk that it might not sell. But he puts it out there and it probably does. That's called investment, not gambling. Investing is very serious work and it's not high risk and it's definitely not a game. Gambling is a game. Investing is what's called the managed risk of money and it is managed risk of efforts and time. But gambling is complete risk, all risk of money. Uh, I'll give you an example. Is if you're investing, you have a thousand euros in the bank, and you uh, take a hundred euros of it, and you invest it in something, and you can live if it doesn't work out. If that, if you invest in somebody and they don't, they don't pull through. Gambling is when you have a thousand euros and you risk all one thousand of it, and you believe that you're just this is my chance. I won't lose. God shows us the biblical management of risk throughout the Bible. Um, and, and, and I'll end with, with a great truth about that in just a minute. Everything, here's the principles of risk, all right? Number one, first of all, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, everything we have started with God, came from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What makes you different than anybody else? And what hast thou that thou didst not what? You weren't born with a gold spoon sticking out of your mouth, man. Um, what hast thou? What do you have that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You, the only thing you brought into this world was trouble. Amen. So everything we got was given to us. And every good and perfect gift came from above. Some people, when we start to think about what we have, if, if I've got money to throw at a, 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 gamble, uh, a gambling situation or, or uh, you know, a betting situation, i got to ask myself, where did I get that money? Where did I get it? Now some people have more money and possessions and some have less. What did Jesus say about the poor? The poor you will have with you always. Now, I believe more people are poor, not because God wants them poor, but because men make their wealth at the expense of others. You want to blame anybody, blame people. But we are not our own to do as we please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now, to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Where did I get my body from? I got it from God. And ye are not your own man. You're not your own woman. You're not your own teenager. For ye have been bought with what? Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify chance. Is that what it says? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. We are stewards of everything we have. We have been given money and life and possessions for a greater purpose than just ourselves. So, our money, our time, our very lives as Christians. I can't talk to an unsafe person and tell them it's wrong to, to, um, uh, uh, to gamble and it makes sense. It's just, just, just not going to ring true in their mind. 
But I'm talking to Christians, and our money, our time, our very lives don't belong to us. They were given to us. And we, they are to be wisely invested for the kingdom of God. That means my life, if I'm working a job, I'm raising a family, if I'm, if I'm mowing the grass, if I'm making money, it's so that souls get saved, churches get started, missionaries get sent, so that the kingdom of God is built. That's why I live now. It's not the kingdom of Craig Ledbetter, it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? First uh, Peter 4.10 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister, give out the same one to another as good, what? Stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you get onto an airplane, you uh, get onto an airplane, and, and who are these people that are going up and down asking you, uh, you know, would you like... Uh, uh, would you like coffee or Pepsi or orange juice? Who are those called? Stewards. Why are they there? They're making sure you get from A to B. They are taking care of you. Um, uh, you're in their care. If they tell you to sit down, you're to sit down for your own safety. Amen. They pop that light and they say, you can now stand up uh, and move through the cabin. They are stewards of your trip. Well, when God saved you, when he gave you Money, when it give you a job, when it give you health, you are stewards of everything you have for God. Now, so everything we have we got from God. Secondly, it is not wrong to get a lot of money. Did, I, did you notice I didn't say it's not wrong to get money? Because that's where we live. All right? But that lot in there, that's where we go in envy and we look and we go, so-and-so's got a lot of money. It's not wrong for anybody in this room to get a lot of money. I wish you would, because hopefully you tithe off of it. Amen? 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 You could buy a building faster. It's not wrong to get a lot of money. Maybe you'd inherit it. Maybe you got some rich aunt who you didn't know about, and she died and uh, left you money. Amen? It's not wrong that somebody gets a lot of money. It's not wrong to get money through uh, success at work and innovation. Uh, imagine somebody inventing something that nobody else has invented and then getting it patented, and then everybody having to use that object. Wouldn't that be awesome? I read the story, and it's a very sad story, of a man who invented the ratchet. Um, uh, it's, a, um, um, it's one of these things, I wish I had a picture of it. What is it called where you have the socket, a socket rat, wrench? That's it. I'm not sure what it would be. The same thing here. It was awesome. The guy who invented this thing, he sold a few hundred of them, and people were great. But a company came to him named Sears. He says, we like that thing. We'd like to buy it from you. He says, you want to buy it? This is crazy. Okay, you ready for this? This was back in 1911 or something like that. And Sears, which was a big company, kind of like Argos or a big catalog company, said, we'd like to buy that from you. We'd like to give you, at that time, it was a lot of money, $5,000. He went, wow, you want to buy this tool? We want to buy it lock, stock, and barrel. We want to buy it and sell it ourselves. We'll give you $5,000. He said, deal, and he walked away with $5,000. Sears went, and they patented it. So every, now you go and you buy something that's built, uh, you know, that's the, the, one of these socket wrenches. When you pay for that, you're actually still, a portion of that payment is still going back to Sears. 
He only got 5000 and it was done. The company, Sears, that owns the patent on that has made hundreds of millions, if not billions of euros by the sale of that one thing. Was, is it wrong that, you know, it, it, would it have been wrong for him who invented that to be continually making that money? No. If you come up with a great idea and you get to patent it and you sell it and you are driving down in a Rolls Royce or a BMW or if you have to drive three BMWs at a time, I don't care. Class envy is not the issue. No one's there to go, well, they don't deserve that. If they, then they invented it and people want it and they buy it, amen. <clears throat> um, by the way, there are plenty of people in your Bible that were wealthy people. Remember Abraham? He, man, he had 318 employees. I mean, look, I, I had, when, when I was growing up, we had a, we had a maid two or three days a week, I forget who came, because both my parents worked. And so uh, uh, she would come and she'd sort of clean house and fix dinner, and uh, then my dad would take her home. And um, uh, one person helping out in the house, wow, we were, we were boil rotten. Can you imagine 318 people serving you head and toe? 318, Abraham was wealthy. Uh, how about Job? It says he was the richest man in all the East. Did God look down and go, ooh, that's evil? What about King David? King David was an intensely rich man. He gave it to his son Solomon, spoiled brat. Gave it to his son Solomon, and with it, Solomon built the temple and lived an opulent lifestyle. Uh, there are plenty of wealthy people in your Bible, and their wealth wasn't their problem. What's the problem? 1 Timothy 6.10. It's the love of that wealth. Love of money. So it's not wrong to have money. As a matter of fact, I'd like to have a little bit. If anybody wants to donate, I am a charity for the moment. That was a joke. Come on. It's not wrong to have money. How you get it and why you sought for it is where the problem is. For example, if you stole some money, if Dean came in and said, man, I got 500 euros. Where'd you get it? <laughs> they left the till open at the Duns, man. And I just walked over there, I grabbed the 50s, and I ran. Woo-hoo! 500 euros. What do you think, Pastor? How you got that money <laughs> determines whether it's good or not. How you got it. And why people seek money. Some people just want to be rich. I, I had a friend, his name Chris Burford. Chris Burford, man. Chris, what do you want to be when you get older? Rich. <laughs> Filthy rich. I mean, he sit back, and I mean, he meant it. Did you ever have a friend like that who just sat back and he said, I can dream it. I can dream it. I know what it'd be like to be rich. I just want to be rich. You ever have anybody like that? Maybe some of you were that. I don't know. Uh, the problem is the love of money. Let's go back. Let's look at that verse again. 1 Timothy 6.10. Verse 9, wow, forgive me, I have to uh, start back here. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. Oh, and by the way, I actually couldn't believe it. Uh, Brother uh, uh, Leighton Kelly said it, I didn't believe it. Then I looked it up and I did some research this afternoon. But have you ever seen a roulette table, one of those spinning and they drop the ball in there and it falls on the number, you pick the number and you walk away with odds and, and winning. There's, uh, there's a series of numbers in there, and if you add them all up, you add up the numbers of the roulette table invented by the French. 
You add up all the numbers of the roulette table. You ready? It adds up to 666. A roulette table, those guys, they, they start that table spinning and then they drop the ball in. And you're, you're, you're playing with 666. I bet nobody ever added those things up. All they wanted was the odds. There was a man back in, um, uh, well, back at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, he, he was in France. He took his house and he walked in. He felt so empowered. He felt so lucky that day. He took the title deed for his house. At that time, it was, it was worth, in American dollars, $130,000. In our time, it'd be like about 10 million euros. So here he comes, he brings a title deed, and he says, I'm uh, double or nothing, uh, I'm going to bring this, and I want, uh, on the odds, two to one, I want to, to play against the house and win double the odds on my house. I'll play against the, the casino. And he put down the title deed, and boy, everybody, woo, and they all gather around, and they spun that thing, and he dropped in that ball, and it landed on his number, and he walked away a winner. The odds were astronomical that he would do it. But you know, that's the thing that is promoted. One guy won, and for months after that, people started bringing in and risking everything because he won, and they tried to win, and nobody else ever won like that man did that day. That's still the greatest risk that somebody's ever taken there in France. Uh, it's like 10 minutes to risk all of their, his, his livelihood, everything he had. Anyway, the problem is the love of money. First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment, there's your great gain. That's your great gain. You want to win? Learn godliness and learn contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, <laughs> and it is certain we, will care, we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. How many have food at home? Okay, how many have food at home? How many are wearing clothes tonight? How many got another pair of clothes waiting for your home for tomorrow? Are you content? Are you content? Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation, there's your gamble, and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know what the saddest thing of that verse, Dean, is in verse 10? It's talking about Christians who started to dabble in gambling. And they've erred from the faith and they pierced themselves through. Nobody hurt them. The devil didn't hurt them, Marianne. Who hurt them? Who pierced Christians according to that verse? They pierced themselves through. They brought it on themselves. The problem is the love of money. Number one, it's addictive. One of the worst addictions I found. Uh, you say heroin's addictive, cocaine's addictive, and I hear that. I've never been addicted to that. I'm not addic addicted to gambling. But one of the worst addictions. Matter of fact, more people are addicted to gambling. They're the most optimistic people in the world. My shit's coming in. I'm due to, I'm, this is what uh, 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 Tony was saying, I'm due a win. <laughs> and and they, they have such optimism. It's an addiction. It's not optimism. Second thing, it is shameful. Do you know, 
gambling is shameful for a Christian because you're trusting luck instead of God and, and you're commanded to work or else you don't eat. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Go to the back to the left a little bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would, if any would not work, neither should he what? So, when a Christian is gambling, what are they doing? They're doing something shameful because they're trusting lady luck instead of God. And you know how you trust God? You get a job and you work and you trust God keep that job and to give you the wisdom to do the job, but, but never to take money that should go to pay bills, that should go to what we should, and I'll talk next week about what we should do with our money, and once we're finished doing the, all that God said that we can do with money, there is no room for gambling. All of our money is spoken of, spoken for, there is no room for any gambling ever. So, you either, you either work or you don't eat. Thirdly, if you ever do win the lottery, and if you're a Christian, do you know what you're actually doing? You actually would end up encouraging others to forget God's principles of money management and to turn to Lady Luck. Can you imagine if Andrew came in and says, I want 500,000 euros, I want 500,000. It only cost me about six weeks of going in and paying 10 euros for tickets, and I tell you what, I want 500,000. That would damage and defile hundreds of people. Do you realize how... But if... If uh, Andrew got up and said, he prayed and he fasted and God supplied our needs, that's the ticket. That's where all of a sudden people say, we need to pray. We need to fast. Look what God did answering their prayer about immigration. They didn't bribe. <laughs> they prayed. Amen? When you don't win, we talk about what you, if you did win, but if you don't win, you have lost God's money and somebody else now has it. Think about it. Think about it. What could you have done with all the money you spent on cigarettes, all the money you spent on the lottery, all that money that you spent on things that the devil convinced you to pay? What if you could have used that for missions? What if you could have used that for a church building? What if you could have used that? Think about what Christianity would be if we kept our money and used it for God. I think it's time that God's money is used for God's purposes, amen, not luck. And we already read there in verse 6, it ruins people's lives. What's wrong with gambling? Pierced through with many sorrows. Shipwrecked. Now we're going to end with this. What's wrong with that picture? Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. The command is to beware of covetousness. The love of money. Go to uh, Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to look at some scripture we're going to finish tonight. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessing. 
But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. That is a power-packed verse. You try to make fast money, you'll do it illegally, you'll do it sinfully, and you will end up broke. You'll, end, not, you'll not be blessed by God, but what does God ask you to do if you want to be blessed and be absolutely rich in God's kingdom? Be faithful. You know what faithful means? A man of integrity. A woman that just does right 100% of the time, never backs down, never compromises, is faithful. Because a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Uh, Kathy, which are better? 5,000 euros in your pocket? Or five kids loving God, serving God, living for God? Which one's richer? Amen. You want to abound with blessings? Those are the blessings we want. Uh, go to another verse. Verse 22, still in Proverbs chapter 28. Verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich, there's that gambler, hath an evil eye. You'll look down on everybody else and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. You know, if you try to get rich so fast, they call it filthy lucre. You ever heard of the word lucrative deal? A lucrative deal means you can make a lot of money fast. Watch it. That's not right. It's not for a Christian to do. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Proverbs 21, go back to chapter 21 and verse 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. You love just sitting home playing the Xbox? You'll lose the Xbox. You love pleasure, you love playing around, you're going to end up be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The wine is for drinking, the oil is, is back again in, in, in the desert. You would pour a little bit of oil on your head coming in the door after being out in the sun and you'd moisten that cracked skin on your on your skull, you'd moisten the, the cracked skin on your hands and, and you but if you were rich and you lived to feel rich, you'd pour that oil all over you, especially if you've been out in the sun. And if you love that, you will never be rich. Again. Um, uh, look at Proverbs ten twenty two. Proverbs chapter ten and verse twenty two. Let's contrast that about not being rich with Proverbs ten twenty two. You know, when you're blessed by God, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. If you got, if, if, uh, uh, if Dina picked up a lottery ticket and, and uh, just she didn't pay for it, she, she, she would never do that. Anyway, she picks up a lottery ticket, and she happens to scratch it off, and it says, you're a winner, and she takes it into the centra. She says, what did I win? And, you win, you won 100 million euros. You know, that 100 million euros bring more sorrow than you're asked for. Uh, all of a sudden, they, they'd hijack your husband to get your money. Now, I don't know if you want that or not, but, uh, I mean, your husband go missing and they phone you up, give us 50 million euros or your husband's dead, and you go, let me think about it. <laughs> no, they, she wouldn't do that. But think about it. When, when the world supposedly dumps 100 million euros in your lap, you're blessed. You are, there's sorrow with it. You have to worry about it. One day it's there, and the next day it's got wings and it's gone. But the blessings of the Lord, man, he adds no sorrow with it. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. 
in the Ten Commandments. Most people don't read the last one. But the very last commandment, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Amidst all of those thou shalt, thou shalt not, verse 17 finishes off with this last commandment. Thou shalt not, what's the next word? Covet. Thou shalt not covet. Beware of covetousness, Jesus said. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. I wish I had a maidservant. Nor his ox. I wish I had a rover. Uh, nor his ass nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Thou shalt not covet. Don't wish you had what you don't have. That's what he's saying. Be content. It's a command. Hebrews 13 leads on to Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. I'd like you... I, I wish we had a tape recorder. Let's put a, let's just put a tape recorder here. Isn't that an old-fashioned statement? They don't make tape recorders anymore. But at least you understand what I mean. Let's make a tape recorder and let's attach it to Bill. Hang it around his neck. It's going to record his conversation all day. Then we bring it back and we'll just fast through all the little times that he's eating, he's grunting, he's, he's complaining, stuff like that. And let's see how much of his conversation is coveting. Oh, I wish I had a faster computer. Oh, I wish I had a better car. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I, I I'm not saying he says this. Probably does, but who cares? What? What did I miss? Think about it for a second. Go on. Go on. <laughs> what if we all had to answer for how many times we talk about and we complain about and we gripe about what we don't have? We had to listen to ourselves, not just one day. But we stand before God and God says, play the tape. Play the tape. And we have to just hang our heads in shame. It says, let your conversation be without any covenant. You ought to be able to talk like you're the richest person in the world. Amen. You ought to talk like you're the most blessed person. I don't care if you've got two pennies to rub together. You ought to talk about, man, I'm saved. Things are better than I deserve. Honestly, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. That means the husband you have. That means the, the dog. I was going to say the cat. I can't say that. Got to get rid of the cat. Anyway, uh, with such things you have for, he has said, I. Wow, what a thought. You have me. How can you be content, Ledbetter? Because I have Jesus. And Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. Let me give you two more and we're done. 1 Timothy 3.8, back to the left, 1 Timothy 3.8. What is the root of gambling? The root of gambling is not a little bit of fun, not a little bit of entertainment. The root of gambling is covetousness. It is the love of money. And 1 Timothy 3.8 says, Likewise, must be deacon, be grave, not double-tongued, 
Not saying one thing and then saying another thing to somebody else. Not giving to much wine. Not greedy of... What's the next two words? All right. There go pyramid schemes. There go uh, Amway and, and uh, all these things that, that uh, constantly makes money fast money. You can make 5,000 euros your first month and you can get off into the, into the stratosphere of, of the echelon of the highest paid and you never have to work. All you got to do is convince these people to be suckers giving you money thinking that they're going to get rich too. You know what that is? Making, yeah, amen. That's, that's, that's you wanting to be rich by making other people think that they're going to be rich. That's wicked. Absolute wicked. God said, work for a living. God said, pick up a shovel, pick up a hammer, fix a car, sell something, build something, but to sit there and filthy Filthy lucre is where you try to get rich by making other people think that they're going to get rich. That's the modern church. The modern church says, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to, to bless you. God wants to give you everything you want. That is filthy lucre. That preacher up there, preacherette, ministerette, those things up at the front of the pulpit are not pastors. They're frauds, and they're taking advantage of God's people saying, you come to our church, get my message series. They're only 109 year old. Get my message series and, and listen to that and, and you'll, be, you'll be wealthy, you'll be blessed. And what he is doing is he's convincing people to get rich so that he can get rich. It's called filthy lucre. It's wrong. Whether you do it in the business world or you do it in the church world. And it all goes back to covetousness. And uh, verse... Uh, chapter, I already read chapter 6. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 8, and we're through. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. That's a study in itself. Now I'll tell you next week, I'll just finish this off next week, I'm going to show you gambling in the Bible was always wrong. Now sometimes when people were not sure how to make a choice, they would cast lots. They did not gamble. There's only one time there was gambling in the Bible. You know when it was? At the foot of the cross, over the, the clothes of Jesus Christ. They were gambling. The rest of the time, they're trying to make up their mind what to do. Sometimes it was right, sometimes it was wrong. I'll teach you next week how to get money the right way. And to get money any other way than God's way is sin. End of story. Did you hear what I said? To get money any other way than God's way is not just well, it's my way. Well, it's just a moderate. No, it's sin. To get money any other way. Somebody comes to your door. We had them when we first moved here. They were called travelers. They come to the door and they'd have a baby and the snot would be down all over their face. It's just a bit of clothes or food or money for the baby and stuff. And man, your heart just, oh. And we started giving money out left, right, and center. We were a magnet, Amen. We didn't know these poor people come to the door. One till one time I'm driving away and there goes this woman and she's got a pram full of clothes and food and everything and she's put in the back of a van and the van is to the top full of stuff and the van's got chrome on it. Real shiny, top of the line, expensive. It was a brand new car. There she was convincing us that they were poor. That'll, that'll knock, her, knock you for six and you go, well, what am I doing? Um, uh, what are they doing? They're making money the wrong way, aren't they? 
and wrong ways to make right. If you do it any other way than God's way, it's sin. And then I'll end with uh, some things that, that always, like flies to, to rubbish, always go along with gambling. So let's finish up here. Living by luck is a sin. What does the Bible say? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If I try to live by luck, it is sin. Um, anyway, don't listen when when you're uh, listen when you're to your heart. There you are. Don't listen to your heart and throw your money into the den of thieves called the lottery. I believe the lottery is a is 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 a den of thieves. They are lying when they say it could be you, and they show you they show this grandma. You ever stand at the at the petrol station? And at the petrol station, at the um, uh, Super Value or something like that, and there's this thing right there in front of you, you know, Euro Millions, tonight, two hours and 17 minutes until the next draw. And you look up there, and then it goes, and it shows this old woman. She's on a motorbike, and she's got her dog up there, <laughs> driving off into the sunset. Wow, I wish I could do that. That's what you're supposed to think. It's a den of thieves. It's a lie. Live by faith. Happiest people on this planet are those who've learned to live within their means, who know how to live according to what God has given them. Happiest people on this planet are not ones who get what they want. The most spoiled generation we have, the most spoiled church is today. The Laodicean church who says we have need of nothing and we're poor, miserable, wretched, and blind, Jesus said. Live by faith. Now, if you love to gamble, you need to admit it's a sin. You need to talk to Tony, talk to myself and get free. You can't be free, just like any addiction. You say, is it easy to get free? Yeah, it's easy to get free. It's another thing to change the way you think so that you stay free, so that you don't keep going back to that mess and trying your, your luck again. I'll talk to you next week. What if you did win the lottery? What, what, what if I accidentally won the lottery, Pastor? I, I wasn't thinking. I backslid and I bought a ticket and I won 10 million euros. I'll tell you what to do if you do that. You won't like it. <laughs> but don't just worry about staying away gambling with money. You better not gamble with your soul. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? What shall a man give in exchange? Don't gamble with your soul. What shall the profit a man if he gained the whole world? Gain the whole... That's the lottery. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You know what most people gamble with? Most people are gamblers. They're gambling with God. They're saying, I've got a few more years. I don't have to get really serious about the Bible. I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to pray. I don't, I don't need to, to, uh, to do anything. I've got good health. I, you know what you're doing? You're taking a gamble. You're thinking tomorrow you're going to wake up and everything's going to be the same and you could be dead. And Jesus gave the illustration. He said, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. That's a gamble you don't want to take. You need to be born again today. You need to be born again now. If you are saved, you need to take it seriously. But God, just like you didn't gamble with your soul, don't gamble with your money. Father, please bless uh, just these thoughts about gambling. We're only halfway through, but open our eyes that this is not a gray issue. This is not a, a fun issue. This is, this is the thing that's closest to our heart, our money. And we've got to take it away from our own freedom and give it back to you and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You gave me this money. You gave me the health for this for my job. You, you, you expect me to do right with my money, just like I should do right with my life. And if there's anybody in this room who struggles just constantly every week, buys that dumb lottery ticket, I pray they just say, never again.
I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find if the blessings of the Lord are better. I'm just going to do things God's way. So bless as we go home. I love you, Lord. I thank you for giving us something much better than luck. You gave us Jesus. So dismiss us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.